0: I grew up listening to Buster Rhymes. He is one of the greatest most original creative rappers of our time. He's a goat. It's undisputed. Across four collaboration albums and 10 solo albums, you can hear some of the craziest off-the-wall lyricism ever written. Buster Rhymes has created countless classic club bangers, genre-defining videos. He set trends and he set styles. On the eve of the release of his 10th album, Extinction Level Event 2, I caught up with the lyrical master himself. I wanted to know everything. <laughs> I wanted to know how he felt at that moment in time. On the eve of his 10th album, does he still get anxious? Does he still get nervous? I wanted to know how he does that crazy double time flow where it's just like, you know, he, he's spitting so fast and, and he's, he's doing syllables and it all makes sense. You get some rappers who just do the and it really doesn't make any sense when you break down the lyrics. Buster is one of the hardest lyricists ever, right? When he raps, it makes sense. So I wanted to know how he did that. I'm DJ Semsex, this is the Hip Hop Raise Me podcast, and this is what happened when I caught up with the lyrical monster himself, Buster Rhymes. (laughs) What's going on, man? What's up, bro? How you doing? You alright?
1: Fucking tired. Oh, for real? I'm exhausted, bro. For real? I've been working really hard every fucking day for the last two, three weeks. Studio shit. The obligations are out of control. But, you know, this is what we asked for, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely.
1: Yeah, so I'm I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining. I'm just getting my ass bust a little bit. That's all.
0: (laughs) 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 hey hey buster listen it's as always it's a real pleasure to to chop it up with you and to speak with you but you know i was looking back at some of the videos today yo your career has been glorious man seriously and it's like just looking through the videos it just took me back to like one i've run up on your music like i've been a fan from time and as a dj just busting your music in clubs and what you contributed to hip hop culture, popular culture, like, yo, you're one of the greatest. And it's like the reason why I wanted to talk to you today is just to celebrate just that, talk about the new album and everything else and just the greatness in general of Busta Rhymes, man. So, like, first and foremost, it's great to see. I'm glad to see you're healthy. I'm glad to see you're putting out more music. And I'm glad to see you're still here, man. Most importantly,
1: thank you. I mean, you know, I really appreciate those words and, and I appreciate you know, our our friendship, our brotherhood, you know, me and you definitely been fucking around with each other as brothers well over 20 years and definitely always been there for me and I appreciate it greatly, my brother, and, and I can't thank you enough for your uncompromising love and support, and um, I, I feel truly blessed and truly honored that, you know, this gift that I was given, man, it still is something that I am unquestionably grateful for. And I'm I'm just happy that the, the fire is still lit and the passion is still there. I just really wanna reinstate the passion in the game. I just feel like the passion is being missed, you know, a little bit, actually a lot. You know, I'm not saying that, you know, dudes ain't out here doing great jobs with, with their way of doing it, but the way that the passion needs to feel like in the music, you know, I feel like that's been missed a little bit, and I just want to bring that feeling back. Along with you, know, dope shit is you know making dope shit is one thing, making classic shit is another. And you know, for it to feel and 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 have the primary ingredients of even being deemed worthy of a classic, you got to be able to feel the passion and, and shit, you know what I'm saying. So, I just want to bring that feeling back, and um. I think I might, have, uh, I might have really successfully accomplished that this time around, man. We're going to get into it, and you know, hopefully the world receives it the way it, the general consensus has been from the people that has heard it so far and felt it so far. So all the right feedback is happening, all the right reactions in the room organically when you watch people react, when you press play, that shit that you can't fake, that shit that you can't hide, that feeling that you can't deny all of those indicators on 10 trillion. And it's a great feeling to see it, man. I can't lie.
0: You know, you know, like you put out a lot of classic albums. You you've had like crazy moments in in the history of music where you've changed the game, rocked the world. Like how, how does it? Are you feeling the same thing as what, what what you felt when you put out albums like The Coming or when Disaster Strikes or Extension Level Event, the first one, like, how's it feel, like, this time around?
1: I personally feel this is the best album I've ever made. Wow. And it's interesting because in feeling that, it's one thing, you know, when you feel it, because, you know, you believe believe yourself a lot of the times, even when that's not the case. You know what I'm saying? Because we just want to believe whatever it is, we want to believe so bad that in order for it to come to fruition, you have to believe it wholeheartedly first. Right. But it's another thing, like last night, for example, Clark Kent had a chance to hear the album. The legend. The legend. DJ Clark Kent, after he finished going through the album, he said he can't believe in the the greatest question to himself. And he know that the greatest question to many others are going to be, how did this dude do this? (laughs) After all of the incredible moments that he's had already, after a 29-year... Professional recording career legacy how the fuck did he find a way to make an album better than everything that he's released before and he said this shit to me on his own last night so that was the confirmation for me that this belief that I had was very real and it was such a rewarding feeling I can't even explain it
0: Yo, this this is crazy to hear you talk like this because, you know, every era of hip hop, you you've been there. You you've changed the game. You like I said, you you you've ran errors with with the bangers that you have put out, and you know, visually, sonically, and it's just dope to hear you like still caring, motivated, and being about the art. You know, being about the culture because. You know it's like you said before you know there's a lot of people who aren't coming with it there's there's you know there's i don't i don't want to knock anybody but you know i think i think you you you've brought through levels of excellence like you've raised standards raised the bar multiple times but also like yo you brought a lot of fun to the game man like your live show has always been one of the greatest live shows and you and Splitford on stage it's like i've seen you times Yo, one time I put on one of your first shows in the UK and it's the time when there was a riot in the venue. It's like, it's like you've always energized people, you've always inspired people, and you you're the true definition of an MC. You, you, you move the crowd. So it's just dope to hear you talk about, you know. Another album. I mean, what, what what number album is this now? Like in terms of how many you've put out?
1: Like, are we including leaders albums and flip mode albums, or just my solos? You you in your opinion, what number album is this? Like, you know,
0: I don't want to count. I
1: mean, them as... I mean, I'm just just counting my albums. This might be number nine. I'm only counting the albums at retail that I've commercially released for sale at retail. Right. You know, I put out Year of the Dragon. That wasn't for sale. I gave that away for free. We put out The Abstract and The Dragon, me and Q-Tip. That was for free. We put out Return of the Dragon, The Abstract went on vacation. That was for free. The Diligence album where Jay Diller produced the whole thing, that was for free. So Mm. you want to count everything, that's a different number, right? But just the albums that I put out at retail, we have Coming, When Disaster Strikes, extinction level event anarchy genesis it ain't safe no more the big bang back of my bullshit extinction level event 2 the wrath of god so it's my ninth solo album that has been released at retail and it's my most complete it's 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 my most complete body of work in the most complete space of my life It takes nine months to create a life. It takes nine to complete the solar system. This is my ninth album. The most complete Busta Rhymes that the world has ever experienced is happening on this body of work. That's a fact. It's definitely a magical divine time and I just hope people really understand and appreciate the significance of what this album means outside of me. Like it means a lot to me, but what this album means outside of me is very much important that people understand the significance of, because this is a climate-shifting, cultural-shifting moment. And there's a serious reason why this is extinction level event to the wrath of god like there's a real way more powerful meaning to this album with that title happening at this moment while all of this shit is going on in the world like there's a whole nother thing that this is in direct correlation with and again you know everybody's gonna understand in three days but um I'm really in love and very proud of this moment. I just want the fucking three days to hurry up and go by.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yo, like like that. Again, it's crazy to hear you talk like this because, um, you know, it's raw passion that I'm hearing. You know, don't take this the wrong way. I'm kind of glad to see you exhausted and tired because for me, that's like, wow, you're still giving a thousand percent. You're still going hard and you're not doing it for you. You're doing it for the fans. Like I was, I was in London city central the other day and I see a bus go past and I see an advert for your album on there. And I'm like, wow, that's, I've never seen that for a Buster album before. So I'm like, I'm like, wow, they're not not playing with Extinction Level Event 2. I'm like, like, this is definitely something. The trailer is crazy. Like, I'm not gonna lie, when I used to listen to your albums and you say the beginning there's only five years left, or there's only four years, there's only what it kind of of freaks me out. So it's like even seeing that trailer with New York City burning, like you know, for the album, it's crazy. And you know, right now we're we're about to start another chapter, you're about to start another chapter with what you're doing. Good rhythms to 2020, like that's 2020 is a write-off for everybody, but what what you're doing. You know, you're starting a new chapter, but before we take it further with what's going on with Extension Level Event Two, I just wanna know what made you pick up the microphone?
1: Never stop picking up the microphone. That's the thing. Like I'm always on something. I don't never completely go away. You know, I love it too much. But what made me decide to to do an album? It wasn't about me deciding to do the album. It was deciding who was the most deemed worthy support system to give it to. You know what I'm saying? I I went to three different labels with this project. They didn't deserve it. They didn't show me that they could be trusted with caring for this album and treating this album and this moment beyond the album. It didn't show me that they were going to treat it with the care that, it, that that it deserved, and I knew what kind of sacrifice was being put into this moment. Mm. You know, I started recording this album in two thousand and nine, so it's eleven years of sacrifice, a lot of patience, a lot of money was spent. A lot of emotions, man, a lot of tears, a lot of vulnerability being shared that I've never shared before. like I'm. It took me a lot of years to be comfortable enough to just talk about certain things. So it, just, it just was so much that went into this, man, and I just felt like when I finally got with the Empire record label and distribution company and did it partnership deal with Gazi the CEO of that company and saw the enthusiasm and the excitement and the support and the way his enthusiasm and his inc- excitement trickled down to the rest of the team marketing director the digital person the sales rep the promotions person the the the, the and the fucking publicity team like everybody Ideas that was being brought into the marketing campaign and the rollout, the support system, the ideas that went into just the way that they they felt this album and this moment deserved to be treated. No label was showing me that in the same way and in the same dynamic. And I refused to compromise. I was not gonna put this project out until I knew that I was gonna get the treatment that this project deserved. I done been through every label in the industry. Seven, I don't think too many artists can say that. I was on Elektra Records. I was on J Records through Sony RCA. I was on Aftermath Interscope, Universal Motown, four labels. Cash Money is number five. Number six is Epic Records. Number seven, Empire. Label deals everywhere. I didn't just sign direct. My God. I had Flip Mode Electra. Now it's Conglomerate Entertainment. Uh, uh Flip Mode uh, Flip Mode J Records. Then I had Flip Mode Aftermath. Then it was Conglomerate. Motown and conglomerate epic, conglomerate empire, and that doesn't even include the label deal that I have at Atlantic Records with the conglomerate slash Atlantic Records, where I got Ot Genesis.
0: Mm.
1: You know, it's 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 eight different situations that I've been through along the course of my journey, and what you said is a testament to what I saw. When you say that you seeing the double-decker buses with extinction level event, two advertisements on it, and you've never seen that before. That's the point that I'm trying to make. Gazi and the Empire staff are making sure that this album gets treated on the iconic level that it deserves. And this is happening in different countries. And there's many other things happening in different countries. That's all a part of the campaign and the rollout of this incredible moment in the culture with this album. And it's, it's a rewarding feeling just to be able to see that and not have to ax and fight for it. Just people just look at me and my legacy in this album and this moment and really and truly understands clearly what this means and how important it is and what it deserves and I couldn't be more grateful. Feels good, man.
0: Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke (laughs) girlie?
1: Some peasant Coke? No.
0: (laughs) Handle the business, but be creative. You're a businessman and you're an artist. I I, I know, I I don't know, actually. I'm not an MC. I'm not an artist like that. I can't even imagine what it takes to be in a zone to put words together, especially as fast as you do, and create sonic bangers that live with people for the rest of their lives. I, I don't know. I can't imagine the space you have to be in to be able to do that, but then be aware of the business and, like you've just explained and the situation that you're with with Empire and what you described, it it sounds like fulfillment, but you've got fulfillment both ways, from the business side and from the creative side of what you've done with this album. For you to say it's your best ever album, how how do you balance that? How do you make that happen?
1: That comes with years of experience. Obviously, you know, experience is the best teacher, number one. You know, after 29 years of doing it, I've had a lot of practice. I've had a lot of harsh realities, bad experiences. Um, And I was also blessed to have some of the greatest teams of people around me to help me and guide me along the course of the way. You know, my mother has always been very much a staple in my business from the inception of Busta Rhymes. And I'm talking about leaders of the new school days. You know, Chris Lighty was one of the best, if not the best manager to ever do it to me. You know, he managed me for 22 years of my 29-year legacy. I was with him from when he started at Rush Management all the way until the day that he passed away. I probably would have still been with him if he was alive today. You know, Mona Scott, she was incredible and very much a staple in the evolution of my journey as well. She was a part of managing me for at least 17 years as a partner to Chris Lighty when Violator was strong. And my lawyers, I've been with this law firm Davis and Shapiro for at least 24, 25 years of my 29 years. And we have done some things in negotiations structuring of deals that have been some very groundbreaking moments that has never happened before those deal structures that we put together and it didn't happen again after i think just the combination of all that with just experience of because it's never all good you know what i'm saying like you're gonna do some bullshit at some point somebody's gonna take advantage of you you're gonna get jerked here. You're gonna get jerked there. You know, you're gonna have to fight for the shit that you deserve sometimes because somebody just wants to try to take advantage of you and be a dickhead about, you know, the way that you should be compensated for your work. Mm-hmm. And you got to fight. So you go through these things. But when you love this shit so much, even when you go through these turbulences, they actually contribute to the greatness of the creativity because when you win a lot of those battles, and even when you lose some, it's going to do one of two things. It's going to make you better or it's not. And I've been fortunate enough for it to have made me better. It's uh, it made me Become the Busta rhymes that the people have known to grow and love. I didn't let it break me, and that was really the most important part of going through the process. So it's 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 been good for me in my particular journey in my life. I can't speak for how, because you know those those challenges they affect people differently. We've seen them fuck people up, and it does break the spirit, and it does compromise what you continue to have as a desire to be creative sometimes it could dim that light and it could darken the whole energy and turn you into you know just a really unhappy person i got beautiful children my queen my mother my brother a lot of incredible friends 35 year friendships 30 year friendships that are still with me today too many people that... that I'm not letting all of these people down, bro. That's not including the fans. That's You know what I'm saying? And, you know, my extended family, just the people that do the music game that, you know, have been super supportive of my entire journey. Like, I'm not letting people... I'm not letting all of these amazing people who've supported me for so many years down. I just can't do it. That ain't the way I was raised. You know, so... I don't give a fuck what I'm going through. As long as I feel the same love that I've felt since day one for this music, no matter what business I'm going through, whatever business I got to deal with, as long as the fire and the desire to want to still create is there, I'm not one of those retirement talking guys. The way that I'm gonna work might change as I get older, but. You know, I'm going to be one of the first dudes in this culture and from this generation to be able to be held in that incredible high regard of how they hold the older statesmen from rock and roll in a high regard. You know, Rolling Stones don't got to put out no album in 30 fucking years, but they could sell out, you know, a stadium, you know, Wembley, three nights in a fucking row. Mm. You know, how many people can Wembley hold? Up to ninety thousand, a hundred thousand yeah, people? Yeah. So it's like, you know, Rolling Stone could come there and do three shows three different nights, sell out every night, and this is before they even move to the next city. Off of music that's thirty and forty years old. No new shit. I wanna be that guy. I mean, the difference is I love making new shit, so I don't think I'm gonna just stop making music for 30 years and just tour on it. But it would be beautiful to know that we can do that as a hip-hop culture. We ain't old enough as a culture to do that yet, but we're on our way. And it's for the first time that I think we are seeing the 50-year-olds, and I'm only 48, so I'm not, you know, I'm not 50 yet. We're not, we not gonna date-bush the rhymes. We're not gonna age the Rhymes, excuse me, but I'm a grown ass man and I'm 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 not too far from being a 50 year old man. So, but when you look at Jay-Z and you look at Diddy and we look at Dr. Dre, you know, these brothers is 50 years old. They're celebrating birthdays past 50 years old. And they're out here living their best lives still at the levels of success that none of the new generations have been able to accomplish yet. Still making music. And still being happy doing what they love. And doing more than what just they love. They're doing shit that nobody else is in a position to do. Mm -hmm. It's a great thing to see because they're actually doing what you're supposed to do when you're in their position. They are becoming keepers of the culture get to a certain age, man, it becomes a new responsibility. The evolution has to continue. You don't just finish and go away because you get to a certain age. Nah, you got to exemplify the timeless greatness that you've evolved into. That's something that it takes living to be able to experience. Surviving to be able to experience being persistent, being consistent, in order to be able to one day celebrate an accolade like the Elder Statesman, Jay Z, Dr. Dre, Diddy, Buster the Rhymes, Nas, you know. But it's happening and it looks beautiful. You know, no, hip hop is growing and hip hop is getting better as we grow. And this shit is it's beautiful to be able to be a part of that current, fresh, evolution of the culture because we've changed the narrative it was a point in time when motherfuckers used to say they they retiring when they turned 30 or you know when they turned fucking 35 or 40 now now motherfuckers want to be they want to wish they could live to be hot motherfuckers in the culture (laughs) (laughs) years old you know so we'll see but but we're going to continue to do our part big bro
0: what advice would you give to some of the newer, younger acts that are coming through? Because you you've had you've had the W's, you've you had the wins, you've had you know the 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 great success, you've you know you won awards, you've had crazy moments, but you know, not I don't. I don't think a lot of these younger artists get the same support system or the same experience that you had, you know. So, what would you say to some of the new guys coming through that you you might you might you might be able to see some of the mistakes better that they're making than we the fans can? So, what, what would you say to the people coming through?
1: Um, all I'm gonna say is the first. It all starts with how how you believe it and how how much you want it. That's what it starts with. I I probably never wanted it this bad in my life. I wanted it when I was a, a, a little young boy. And I just wanted to get on and rap and be cool and shit, make a little bit of money. Now that I've been blessed to have all these things, what is the want now for me? The want for me now is something that can't even explain, I've been around the world a whole lot in 29 years, but I still feel like there's certain things that I want that is a personal fulfillment thing. And I feel like this album is accomplishing that. I wanted to make an album that actually changed the perspective of every mind in the planet simultaneously and have that happen during one of the most challenging times in the fucking world. I want that more than I've ever wanted anything. I've been planting these seeds since the first solo album, which is why I've named it The Coming and When Disaster Strikes and Extinction Level. I've been telling people the whole time that this fucking day was gonna come. Not because I was prophesizing. I just was paying attention to information that was accessible to everybody. People made the choice to pay attention. Some people did not. A lot of people did not. I was fascinated with the shit that I was seeing. I was fascinated with the shit I was hearing. I never knew it was going to come to fruition for real, but the ideas that were existing and the information that was existing and the fucking... Detail oriented level of this shit that was being created by government officials and CIA members and FBI and secret society shit and deep state government shit. I just always looked at this shit like, what if this shit is true? We might never live to see it in our lifetime. It might be a bunch of bullshit. But the fact that it looked so crazy to me when I was stumbling all of this on all of this shit 25, 26, 27 years ago, that what if factor fascinated out of me. And that's what made me talk about it. I just felt like I'm seeing shit and I'm hearing shit and I'm reading shit and I'm having dialogue with people about shit that is very dangerous to all of us if they ever came to life and ever came to fruition. And even if it doesn't happen, just pay attention to it. Read between the lines, dig into it a little deeper just so you can figure out how to prepare for the worst-case scenarios. We hope for the best, but let's prepare for the worst too. And that's all I wanted to do the whole time to spark the thought of people and spark the thought of the minds. But I feel like because a lot of shit that I said came to fruition, there's only five years left. People thought I was talking about the world was going to explode. No, I was just saying that the world was going to end as we knew it. Five years later in 2001, when the world trade fell, the world that we knew started to end. The shit started to change. It started taking out our civil liberties from us. Implementing Big Brother, privacy was gone. All kind of new shit started to happen. In '98, my album cover was the World Trade gone on fire, all of Wall Street, South Street, the Hudson River, Brooklyn Bridge, Manhattan Bridge, right on the album cover artwork of extinction level event, the final world front. Three years later, 2001. We got to see that exact visual come to life in the same area of Manhattan. Information was out there. I just paid attention to it. And I think people started to pay a little more attention to what I was saying. So now we're here in 2020, the whole world is shut down. This COVID shit, it got us all fucked up out here with a lot of inconsistent information and they are destroying millions and millions and millions of lives around the world at the same time. This ain't the world that we once knew. The world that we once knew is gone. And I've been saying that shit was coming for a long time. I hope these words in this album resonate differently when people listen now. All I wanted people to just say on a unanimous level, was not only was Busta Rhymes speaking directly to us and speaking directly to the Times and speaking that classic album shit on a unanimous level, but this was one of the greatest albums ever made in all of the life of hip hop culture. I want that too. Because MC at heart, and I'm still a competitive motherfucker. <laughs> it's that's never gonna stop Semtex. <laughs> hey, I love that, man. I love that.
0: I love that. Hey, you know, you, you're 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 an incredible MC. Um, for anybody who may not know about the extent to what you do when you rap, and and just for just for anybody who's locked in right now. You know, just just check out Break Your Neck, um, Buster Rhymes is one of one of the greatest Buster Rhymes tracks, one of my favorite tracks of all time. It shuts down any show, any party, and and you can't do nothing but literally break your neck when that comes on. But but (laughs) how, how much how long does it take you to make a track like that? Like the detail that goes into it, the flows, like you know how to. It's like, it's weird. You know how to pause it where people can still rap along with it. Even though you're going crazy, it's like, you know, you you, you, make, the, you make the flow animated. So it's almost like you're making it easy for people to hear, even though it's one of the illest, most complicated flows ever. Like, h- how long does it take to do something like that?
1: I ain't gonna lie. That song took probably like a a, a couple of hours in the same day. About four, about four or five hours because... As, as, as I write the verse, when I wrote the first verse, it was it was pretty quick, but it was so dope to me that it took me some time. Like I had to sit around in the studio and just let it keep playing to figure out how I'm gonna make the next verse feel just as compelling as the first one. That following up the first verse is what took the time for me because. You know, when you make these records, you want them shits to incline. You don't want the second verse to sound weaker than the first verse. That's when you fuck up the song. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, I, I just, um, I wanted to take my time with yeah. approaching yeah. a second yeah. verse. So that's what took a few hours for me to get into yeah. the second verse and accumulate the, the additional two hours that it took before I started writing. Once I figured it out, I I put a good hour into the second verse and it took about a good hour and a half to really record it with all of the proper precision so that every word was detail oriented and articulated properly because I just wanted to make sure that the clarity and the precision of the way every word came out of my mouth was done in the most pristine level and then when you're doing some shit like that and you're working with Dr. Drake his level of perfectionist is some other shit. So he'll make you say one line over 50 times sometimes where that shit is exhausting in the studio to make sure that it's at the most pristine level that we can get it. Dr. Dre's famous saying is yo, we already got it this way. So, you know, we could try it 10,000 times. If we don't like it, then we just go back to the way we already got it. Like well, how do you respond to that? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's, it's almost like if you say nah, you don't want to do it, you start feeling like you're selling yourself short. You know what I'm saying? So um Dre had a way to get in your head like that and get the best out of motherfuckers. And he definitely knew how to do that with me.
0: You know, and and, and talking about great lyricism, yo, I'm I'm glad you connected with
1: Kendrick Lamar, man. Like oh man, yo, he's my he's my favorite new MC and I know that you know he's on his fourth or fifth solo album so he's not as new but he's still new and his work and his craftsmanship and his skill set makes even his latest album sound like he's putting out his first album. He wants it so bad every time and you could tell through his work and I hold him in one of the highest regards as far as best MCs to ever do it because he cuts deep into my soul in that way. And I can't thank him enough for being a part of this project. And he definitely has always shown the love. And it's it's been reciprocal. I mean, I've been rocking with TDE since before Kendrick came out when it was just J-Rock was the only artist that Top Dog had. You know, and even though they was around, excuse me, J-Rock was the first one that was out. He was the only one that was out. And K-Slay introduced me to J-Rock. And we actually did a collab when J-Rock was still on Warner Brothers. And I didn't even meet him physically yet. We just spoke on the phone and I just heard his song. I liked it. I got on it with him. But the the seed of me coming together with T.D.E. was by way of DJ K-Slay but we have been locked in ever since. You know what I'm saying? The love is incredible with me and Top Dog, you know, Kendrick, Schoolboy Q, Absol, Sir, um, SZA, you know, Punch, you know, we, we just have an incredible relationship. Even, you know, Dave Free, even though Dave Free ain't a part of the TDE establishment anymore you know, when he was there, I had to deal with him a lot and the respect was always right. so Mm -hmm. it's great, man. Kendrick, he he fucking wasn't playing on that record, neither. We had had a great uh, sparring of bars on that.
0: (laughs) How did the Connect with Vibes Cartel happen? Because, again, that's another banger. I think that's something that Dancehall fans and anybody from the Caribbean has wanted to see for the longest time, so it's it's dope that you know it's happened but how, how did you make that happen how did it come about
1: i believe back in 2012 i performed at the 250th birthday celebration for guinness stout just the brand guinness and there was a big festival concert that went down in jamaica and i had to perform at that and after that i got with vibes cartel We was before i came out there for that concert to actually do a collab together First collab we ever did together was produced by a UK producer by the name of Dreddy. Big Up Dreddy. Big Up (laughs) Dreddy. So my first collab with Bob's Cartel was produced by Dreddy. And our relationship just evolved into greatness ever since 2012. And we continue to work together and we continue to do business together. And we have incredible business with each other that we still haven't announced yet and um we're just waiting for the right time and we are all diligently focusing on the most important thing right now which is all of us giving our energy and support in every dynamic to his freedom Mm. you know it's just important for us to prioritize that there's nothing more important and us prioritizing that. So, you know, when the time is right, we'll we'll make the announcement about the other businesses we have together. But in the meantime, you know, we just want to see him come home, back to his family, get back to, you know, being around the people that he loves and doing what he does best. And it's, it's just un- unbelievably incredible to watch the work ethic and the abundance of music that this man has had since the day that he's been arrested, even before that, you know what I'm saying? Like his work ethic has been profound on an unquestionable level. And I've just been a huge fan and, you know, I've been fortunate enough to get some music and have my hands on a few gems for some time now. And I just put them out when I feel like the time is right to put them out. You know, we've had a fortunate Opportunity to be able to make some amazing pieces and I'm still sitting on a few actually. So, so or,
0: speaking of the UK, and you know, you've always looked out for the UK, whether it's coming over to perform, whether it's showing love, even to myself passing through my show, or like you know, like I said, working with Ready, working with Estelle. But it was dope to see you jump on Don't Rush by Young T and Boogsy, like. That was crazy. And and it's crazy. We're at a point now where, you know, we've got our own artists that are popping off like worldwide. And, you know, with Don't Rush they did really, really big in America. Like, yeah. how how what was it like when you first heard that joint? Because they name checked you in the joint. I mean, like, yeah, it's because it's a different time now. It's, things are changing and everything else. And how did you guys connect?
1: When I heard the song, I loved it. I appreciated the the, the shout out that they gave me in the song, but even more so, what I did love about the record, them dudes could really spit. Like the punchline game was was clever. The metaphors was clever. The pocket, the way they sit in the beat, they just remind me of some yard man. You know what I'm saying? And and it was like it just the feeling in the way that they married that beat was just something that was unquestionable to me. So the record was just dope in itself. And Young T and Bugsy, they bodied the shit. So I actually wanted to get on the joint. So um, I got a call from Sylvia Rome one day. She was telling me that they wanted to, you know, she wanted me to do a remix. But the funny shit is I had already did the remix before Sylvia Rohn reached out to me because I had loved the record so much. I wanted to hear myself on it because that rhythm kind of fell in the in the family of put your hands kind of sound and vibes and dangerous kind of vibes. You know what I'm saying? So it was reminiscent of those earlier fields of music that I was doing and party going on over here, them type of bounce in the rhythm. That's what Don't Rush Rhythm reminded me of. So it just felt real good to be able to get on it and I think I DM'd Young T and Bugsy. And then they gave me the manager information, Kilo. So then yeah. I... <laughs> and when me and Kilo connected, we he, he just sent me the instrumental. I made it happen. And, well, I sent him the verse, made it happen. They loved it. Once he gave me the confirmation that Young T and Bugsy was happy with it, I said, let's get this shit done. And then um, I got the call from Sylvia and... um. Ironically, Janet Jackson was supposed to be getting on my version with me. Wow. But it was taking too long. And uh, we just said, you know, we need to go because, you know, at the end of the day, everything has a window of when it's hot. And then, you know, when it reaches that apex and that climax, you don't capture that time. And, you know, then it starts to decline. And I didn't want to risk the possibility of... Mm -hmm my verse coming out when it was on a decline. I mean, I know when it was popping in the States, y'all was pretty much done with it in the UK already because it had been out so long over there with y'all. But it was so strong in the US that that shit was still going upwards by the time I got on it. But again, man, them, them dudes, is incredible. They get busy with the spit and it's just a great opportunity you know, to have been on another record that, you know, I could say that I had fun being a part of, and shit just worked out the way it was supposed to when it was dope. So big them up, for real. So,
0: Well, listen, Buster, appreciate you taking the time, man. It's it's, it's, dope. it's great to see you, healthy and well, passionate, getting it in. Yo, listen, just stay safe. I hope your family stays safe, and just, just keep bringing the fire, man. Just keep serving. Likewise, King.
1: You know, okay. me and you is me and me and you is forever. As long as you here and I'm here, we family. So I salute you. Thank you very much. Big up, King. Cool, man. Bless up, Thank King. You, Thank man. you, bro. All right, cool. All right, cool.